As our cultural institutions come to a temporary yet grinding halt, perhaps now is the time to appreciate just how important these brick-and-mortar institutions are. We'll explore that in more detail in today's episode, starting in 4, 3, 2, Hello art enthusiasts and art lovers. Welcome to episode 8 of Art Wonderful, the art podcast where art is a religion. I'm your host, Nicholas Harper. I'm broadcasting from my art studio deep within the Rogue Buddha Gallery. That's in the heart of the Northeast Arts District in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank you for joining me as we explore everything the arts have to offer. It's the mission of this podcast to spread the gospel of the arts their essential value to our everyday lives, and to offer a deep-dive exploration into this most mysterious of subjects. You can learn more about myself, the Rogue Buddha Gallery, this podcast, and those we have on the show by visiting us online at roguebuddha.com. Click Podcast from the menu. It was my intention today to talk about brick-and-mortar galleries and to examine three main reasons why they're so valuable and necessary, not just to the art world, but to our communities at large. It's my contention that their place in our world is more necessary now, perhaps more so than at any other time in history. This is made especially obvious to me in light of the numerous trends towards the consumption of culture online the visual arts being no exception. The timing of this episode couldn't be any more fortuitous if only for the unfortunate events in the world right now where a certain virus is concerned. I had been planning on this episode and had worked on exactly what I wanted to say for some time as I think it helps to further cement my perspective in the arts and establish the tenor of this podcast while still in its infancy. The idea for the topic of brick-and-mortar galleries and their essential nature came by way of a public forum I spoke at last year. This forum was titled, Are Galleries Dead? Not in Northeast, and was hosted by the Northeast Minneapolis Arts District and its subcommittee Hatch. Eight or nine gallery owners spoke and shared a bit about their galleries and the important role they play in our community. I was honored to be one of the presenters. That night, I not only gave a brief history of the Rogue Buddha Gallery, but talked about how in many ways the gallery was a living sculpture, and that art, despite what many may think, is in fact a commodity, and not a luxury. That is, art is a necessary part of our everyday lives, and is essential to our being. To illustrate this point, just try to imagine your life with every aspect of artistic flavor removed. No more film or television, no video games, no books or music, no more paintings or photographs. And that's just the tip of the iceberg where artistic and creative influence is concerned. Consider a world with no artistic design applied to furniture, household goods, not to mention architecture and public spaces, even cars. I don't think you have to travel too far down this thought experiment to begin to realize not just how important the arts are in our everyday life, 
but in fact, how essential they are. At the risk of sounding opportunistic, the events of the past week, as galleries, museums, theaters, and concert venues shutter their doors, these events offer a clear indication of the value these institutions play in our world, if even only seen on a surface or superficial level. Of course, I think the value of these institutions and what they represent and present to the public runs much deeper than the surface and is in no way insignificant. In fact, I think the art that these institutions offer to the public is at the heart of our being, art being a connective tissue to our soul. While the original intent of this episode was to discuss three ideas concerning the role of galleries, in light of recent circumstances, I thought today I would focus on just one of those criteria most essential to the notion that galleries, in their brick-and-mortar form, are more necessary now than ever. I'll still be covering the other two criteria that I had in mind for today's episode, but we'll save them for another time, perhaps as soon as next week. While perhaps a bit disheartening, the events of the day offer this as an opportune time to appreciate the role galleries, museums, and other cultural institutions play by way of creating community and fostering fellowship and cultural camaraderie. Thomas Paine wrote, These are the times that try men's souls. From my perspective, it's the very soul which art connects us to and sheds light on. And so when institutions that offer a conduit for this connectivity to take place close, well, times can certainly seem a bit more dire. I've watched closely as my friends who work in the art world in various capacities have been making the sad but now all-too-predictable public notices that they're temporarily closing their doors, postponing exhibits and events, and in some cases canceling events altogether. So too I've watched as many of the major art institutions make posts of a similar nature. The significance of this is readily understood by the outpouring of comments below such notices. While obviously the vast majority of people are understanding and appreciate the concern that these institutions have for the safety of their guests and staff, the sadness that goes along with such announcements, it's palpable. Again, I think this is because the vein of culture, that is the arts, runs directly to our souls and to the core of our being. It's because of this that so many feel these closures so deeply. Of course, this isn't reserved for just spectators and audience members, but as artists and staff involved in making these events take place, well, these can certainly feel like trying times. While obviously people will have no lack for entertainment and distraction by way of Netflix and YouTube and the like, for many, this is but a pale replacement for that which truly offers us great meaning in our life. This isn't to slam what we have access to digitally. Of course, there are great works of art in film and television, and YouTube can be a treasure trove of virtual cultural experience. And then, of course, there's music, books, and podcasts. And also we have Instagram with which to consume virtual arts quite endlessly. 
So my point here isn't to slam or undervalue any of the options afforded to us online, but it is to shine a light on one of the greatest assets of brick-and-mortar institutions, that of fellowship, community, and camaraderie, experiencing things together in real life and in real time. Of course, this isn't limited to the arts either. Perhaps there's no better example of the power of communal involvement like being in a stadium with thousands of people as your sports team wins a championship, for instance. And so, my heart goes out equally to those that will be missing out on the holiest of religious sports days with the NCAA tournament and the various high school sports tournaments, not to mention countless professional games postponed or canceled. Not only is this a letdown for their fans, but more so, and justifiably so, for the countless athletes that not only prepared endlessly for these events in particular, but in many cases dreamt about them since childhood. For many in the art world, it can be easy to be dismissive and flippant of such things as sports ball. I see this attitude all the time. But really, there isn't anything insignificant about it if you really think about what all is involved. And so the same is true for the arts. I'm honored and privileged to be playing a small role in the production of La Boheme by Theater Latte Da at the Ritz Theater. Thirteen years ago, they approached me and asked if they could use one of my paintings as the playbill for their production of La Boheme. I was thrilled. I didn't, however, know just how significant this was until I saw the production. It was my first exposure to Theater Latte Da and, well, my heart melted. I left the theater that night on cloud nine and completely amazed that my art was in some way associated with what I had just experienced. I've since gone on to be a regular audience member at their incredible productions, and I'm continually amazed by what they do. This year, when they announced they would be remounting the production of La Boheme, they again reached out to use that same painting. Needless to say, I said yes, and did so, as I held back my utter exhilaration. As a side note, the name of the painting they're using is called Bonjour Tristesse. It means hello to sorrow. It seems somewhat fitting. It was basically the first painting I made of a woman with a long neck, that which would become a defining feature in the bulk of my artistic repertoire. But I digress. The opening night of La Boheme was scheduled for this past Saturday, and was sadly postponed until April. And I, like most of the audience that has been eagerly anticipating this performance with bated breath, are undoubtedly all saddened, and now have to learn the hard lesson that patience is in fact a virtue. But there's also an entirely different side of the equation to be considered. Just as those high school and college students have been working tirelessly toward one goal within athletics, so too there are many who have put in countless hours into making La Boheme a reality, from stage and crew, to the choreographers, singing coaches, directors, to those that work in the office, from marketing to management, to the volunteers and sponsors. And then, of course, there are the actors. And then also, of course, there are the spouses and partners of all of the above. I had the privilege of sneaking in to see a bit of a rehearsal last week while dropping off some art for their lobby. 
To see all of these people hard at work under deadlines and working at the very height of their potential, well, it got to me. And again, I couldn't help but be a bit overwhelmed that I was playing a small role in it all. But all of that is to say, these things that we attend, art openings, museum exhibits, theater productions, as an audience, we come and spend a few hours, and then we leave. It's easy to take this stuff for granted, just how incredible the mechanisms are that pull these events and structures together. A few months ago, I binge-watched a number of videos on YouTube from the Museum of Modern Art in New York. They were preparing for a reopening of the museum, and these videos shared a bit of the behind-the-scenes of just what goes into curating and mounting an exhibit at that level. It was as inspiring as it was eye-opening. So my heart goes out to all those that pour their life and soul into the arts, just as much so as it does for those of us who rely on these institutions for our daily dose of culture, and dare I say, spirituality. As a gallerist myself, it's been a fundamental objective to create a space that's both welcoming and encouraging of outside participation from the public. As I mentioned earlier, and in previous episodes of Art Wonderful, I consider the Rogue Buddha Gallery to be a living and breathing sculpture, one in which the public, those that attend the events, those that purchase the art, and those that champion the art, or even the first-time visitor, well, they're all co-creators, collaborators in this ever-evolving sculpture. And while the digital sphere has many powerful upsides, the one thing it simply can't replace is that sense of fellowship and friendship that takes place at events like an art opening. These are times when we as a community of friends and acquaintances, and even often strangers, can co-mingle in a space, all the while sharing in a similar interest. This sense of community, this is what a culture is built on. And when I say community, I mean that in its most literal and tangible sense, not in the sense of an online forum or tweet thread. I mean by way of creating a space in which we live, work, and play. The space by which we interact with other human beings in a real and tangible manner, face to face. The more our culture moves to a digital universe for everything, even for as mundane of a thing as where we buy our toilet paper, on Amazon for instance, every time we do so, I can't help but think we remove another real-life interaction and become that much more dissociated from the people who make up our family of humanity. I realize for some that that may be the goal. I too have typically held a healthy level of social distancing myself, choosing rather than going out to stay in my cocoon of an art studio, alone with my painting and conspiracy talk shows. But, as much as I relish these moments of solitude, I so too relish the moments of sharing in art and culture with my friends and family and strangers alike. While I consider art to be like a soulmate of sorts, well, so too, humans are soulmates, and our interactions with each other help to define us as people and give richness to our world. This community or fellowship, it can be found in art, it can be found in sports or in church, even monster truck rallies can be cool. It isn't so much the event that's important, 
It's in the sharing that experience with others. Perhaps that's why we're so eager to share our experiences on social media. Because we want to desperately connect with others, to include them in our lives, and to be included in theirs. For me, moments like those of recent days where we're very deliberately limited by way of public events that we can share in together, it's these that serve to reinforce the idea that community and fellowship are essential to our world. And just like watching a basketball game on television really can't compare to watching it in person with a good friend, so too, looking at a painting online simply isn't the same as going to a gallery with a friend or attending an opening, and perhaps making some new friends. The quote by Thomas Paine from earlier, it continues, What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. While the context of this quote may be different, I think the sentiment here is valid for today's topic nonetheless. That being, that which we hold dear, it's the most valuable to us, and that which we will strive to protect and nurture. For me, art is a window to the soul. And the art gallery? Well, it's a holy place where friends, family, and strangers alike can commune together and enter into fellowship around a shared value or interest. It's these relationships in this community that I've built a career around, and one that I hold most dear. And so, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone as to what I hold most valuable, and will work to protect and nurture. Perhaps it's a bit too predictable that it takes times of strife or discomfort or just plain disruptions to our sense of normalcy, to shed light on what is important and what we hold dear. It's when these things are taken from us that their role in our life becomes all that much more obvious. My hope is that things will get back to normal, and that we will all be able to hug each other at our favorite venues and art events very, very soon. In the meantime, I'll be hosting a number of virtual events on Facebook and Instagram Live, I hosted my first virtual live tours of the Unloved Creature show this past weekend, and I'm in the midst of creating a more edited version to be out on video this week. I'm also planning on hosting a number of live drawing dates on my social media platforms. Here, you'll be able to hang out with me as I work on sketches and drawings. I might not be the biggest fan of tech, and might be terrified of going live on these platforms, but culture, it must go on. Now, Usually, I would end the show with my pick of what event you should check out this coming weekend. As I'm not certain as to what, if anything, will actually still be going on, I won't be giving a pick this week. I would, however, encourage you to check out mplsart.com to keep up to date on all things arts-related and to stay updated on event cancellations and postponements. Again, that's at mplsart.com. I also want to give a quick shout out to an amazing partner of the show, NEMA.org. That's the Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association. With over 1,000 artist members, 
you're sure to find some incredible art that speaks to your soul. That again is at nema.org. N-E-M-M-A dot org. And finally, in lieu of an exhibit pick, I want to leave you today with a poem by Cara Morrell. She gave a wonderful poetry reading just a couple weeks back here at the Rogue Buddha. And, as is the case with so many remarkable artists here in the Twin Cities, her work blew me away. You can follow her on Instagram at karma.vet, that's K-A-R-M-A dot V-E-T, on Facebook under Cara Morell. M-A-R-E-L-L, or online at karamorelyoga.com. I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope you do so again and often. Until next time, remember, the best life is the creative life, and the best self is the artistic self. And now, a brief poem by Kara Morel. I forgot what your hair feels like when I run my fingers through it. I need to stare into those eyes because I can't remember what color of magic they are. Feel me, hold me, as if I am brand new to you. Shiny toy fresh out the box, fall in love with me all over. Every time the minute hand moves, see how it builds and the wonder that comes to those who are perpetually curious. Mm -hmm.